Speak these words in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You want to know the most difficult thing about being a priest? It's probably not what you think it is. The most difficult thing about being a priest is to have to practice what you preach. It's hard. And about five years ago, I delivered a sermon, my final Sunday sermon in this pulpit, about a failed attempt or multiple attempts to navigate a whitewater rapid as a teenager on the Hiawassee River in Tennessee. And it involves some wild stories and a little nudity, and I won't get in it today. But if you were there five years ago, you remember the point of my sermon, I hope you remember, was that the Christian life that is, discipleship, is about following God's call and going down the center of life's rapids. Don't avoid them. Go down the middle. And so I walked down from this pulpit and left this church and left behind some great colleagues with people I love and people I still miss and moved to Thomasville, Georgia, to become a high school English teacher and a history teacher and coach football, tennis, and golf. Woo! To go down the rapid. And so like the disciples in today's gospel reading, there was a strong call to do this work. So I would like to catch you up on life on these past five years and share three things this morning that I have learned about discipleship. Are you ready? I hope so. Well, when we moved out of the deanery in 2018, it was June of 2018, I thought I had three months. I did have three months before I had to teach a class. But what I didn't realize is that football had already started. High school football was going. And learning the playbook felt like I was back in biblical Hebrew and Greek. Now, I was the varsity outside linebacker coach. And because I was the new guy on the defensive squad, I also got promoted to junior varsity defensive coordinator. That came with no buyout. The games are in the middle of the afternoon in South Georgia and North Florida in August. And it was a lot of fun. And it was at one of those junior varsity games that I was reminded of the first important lesson in being a disciple. And you're going to have to wait for it. We were playing at a Tallahassee school, and the game was close. And me, this junior varsity defensive coordinator, I thought it was third and long. So I dialed up an aggressive blitz. I sent the signal to the middle linebacker, and he gave me a look. Sent a signal back. So I looked down at the play sheet, made sure I had everything right, and sent another signal. He sent back another signal. And then he did this. I was like, okay, so he's still confused, but he got the play right. At that point, I looked up from the play sheet and noticed that the offense 
was in punt formation. It was fourth down. Yeah, it was fourth down. And unfortunately, because I dialed up a monster blitz, I had walked the safeties down. They were in man coverage. That means there was nobody back to receive the punt. The kids looked at me like I was an idiot. I glanced over my shoulder to see the parents, you know, football parents. They knew I was an idiot. (laughs) I've never prayed like that in my entire life. I didn't know what was going to happen next. I wanted to crawl under the bleachers and thank the good Lord. When the ball was snapped, nobody was expecting a full-out blitz, and the punt was blocked. So the defense comes running over to the sideline. They're giving each other high fives, and they're saying, Coach Marsh, did you mean to call that play? Of course, I tried to preserve some dignity. So I said, boys, sometimes you have to think outside the box. (laughs) A few minutes later, the middle linebacker came over to me and said, you had no clue it was fourth down. I said, no, man, I feel like an idiot. And he said, it's okay, coach. It all worked out. So my first point to you this morning is following Jesus should make you feel like a fool. Look at today's gospel text. Just look at that gospel text. Can you imagine family dinner that evening? Peter. Remember, Peter had a mother-in-law, so he had a wife. James and John, they had families. Imagine going home to dinner that night. How was work? Oh, it was great. I'm never going back. You're going to do what? You're going to follow who? You're going to be a fisher of people? What in the world are you talking about? You're an idiot. Peter. Paul, sorry, St. Paul tells the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, To be fools. He says this, be fools for Christ. Part of discipleship, part of being a follower of Jesus is taking a leap of faith and doing something crazy. Maybe even doing something foolish. So I want to ask you this morning, how are you being a fool for Christ? My second point, discipleship involves being open to the Holy Spirit. Let me move from the football field to the classroom. They gave me a lot of freedom to structure my 12th grade English class, perhaps too much freedom. And so I thought since we lived in South Georgia and students were from the South, I wanted them to be exposed to some of the great southern writers so i had them read tennessee williams zora neale hurston flannery o'connor just up the street and ernest Gaines. and i remember one day we were about two-thirds of the way through Gaines's novel a lesson before dying it's one of my favorites and some students came in from a psychology class And they were all excited. They were jumping up and down. It was between classes. They were like, Coach Marsh, Coach Marsh, we just came from psychology. 
have you ever heard of this thing called the Enneagram? I was like, I'm a priest. I'm kind of trying to be teacher, but I'm a real priest. Yeah, I've heard of the Enneagram. It's, it's a spirituality tool. They're like, well, the psychology teacher came in, told us to come in here and ask you about it. And I was like, ooh, I know I've heard of it, but I'm embarrassed to say I didn't spend any time with it. You know, we, I just came from a big church in Atlanta, and we had a whole spirituality department, and I got friends I can call up. I could call up Canon Knowlton, Canon Zappa, Jeannie Mahood. They could tell me a lot about it, but my life was so busy, I, I never went to one of those spirituality things. My other lesson for you all, this is an amazing place with amazing people. Soak it all up. Go to everything you can. So I told the students I'd get back in touch with them tomorrow. And then the bell rang. And then I had them pull out their novels. And the energy left the room. So I started writing stuff up on the board and started referencing things in the novel. And a voice, I kept hearing a voice from 1 Thessalonians. And it was clear. The voice was this. Do not quench the Spirit. Paul says, do not quench the Spirit. Over and over again, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Finally, I gave in. And I threw away the lesson plan and said, let's bring in the Enneagram. So I looked at the students and said, okay, you psychology students, stand up. You're not going to win. We're going to still talk about the novel today. I said, you stand up. Everybody else, you get around these students. You go to the separate part of the room. You go online. Get one of those Enneagram assessments. Don't put your parents' credit card in. I don't have time for their emails. You take one of those free Enneagram assessments as the protagonist of the novel. You get in his head, and you fill out the questions. And then you're not going to share anything. You're going to come to the board, each group, and you're going to write the number. I, I know that much about the Enneagram. I know their numbers. You're going to write the number on the board, and I'm going to show you this thing's kind of not really legit because you're going to have numbers everywhere. So everybody got done. They came to the board. They all wrote down the same number. They were floored. I was kind of floored, but I hadn't studied the Enneagram, so I didn't know what to do next. I was like, okay, guys, go back to your desk and tell me what that number means <laughs> and how it relates to the protagonist. I'm curious. And so they spent the rest of class writing, and I was blown away. I was blown away at what they were writing. I had studied the novel. I was, had read it over and over. And the depth of what they were saying was amazing. At that moment, the teacher became the student. And the student became the teacher. I went home. For the first time in 20 years in ministry, I dusted off those Enneagram books and I read it. And what happened in that classroom 
happened here in my life. It changed my spiritual life. It changed how I related to God and how I related to other people. And to this day, I am convinced that none of it would have happened had I not laid down the net that is the lesson plan and been open to the power of the Holy Spirit. So my second point to you is this. No matter what season or stage of life you are in, discipleship means being open to the Holy Spirit. Finally, being a disciple of Jesus means learning to change. Look at the text from Jonah. It's about people changing. And one of my favorite lines in it, it's about God changing. It says, God changed God's mind. Change is an important part of what it means to follow Jesus. Just this past Thursday, the church celebrated the confession, the confession of St. Peter. Do you remember that? Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah. And then Jesus goes on to say, Yes, and here's what the Messiah is going to do. He's going to suffer and he's going to die. And Peter responds, uh-uh, that cannot happen. No, Lord, I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Peter goes from there to there. Why? What was the point of that exchange? Peter was going to have to change. He was going to have to change his understanding of who the Messiah is and what it meant to follow Jesus. One of the writers that I had my students read, one of the Southern writers, was Walker Percy, the winner of the National Book Award for the moviegoer. If you know Percy's story, he was a physician, a trained physician, who changed mid-career to become an author. And he had a beautiful way of synthesizing philosophy, theology, and literature. And if Percy sounds familiar to you this morning, it's because you just sang the hymn written by Walker Percy's uncle, William Alexander Percy. We'll turn to it in a second, because I'm still a teacher. <laughs> you see, when Walker Percy was a child, his father committed suicide. I think they were living in Athens, Georgia. My memory is not quite clear anymore, but I think they were living in Athens, Georgia, and they moved for a little time to go be with Uncle Will, William Alexander Percy, in Greenville, Mississippi. This is Walker's mother and his two other brothers, the three of them, just to get away just to have a place for those children to recover. And so they lived there for a season until tragedy struck again. Walker's mother was driving home with his youngest brother, and the car ran off the road, and the brother in, into a river, 
The brother escaped, and the mother died. Uncle Will, William Alexander Percy, the author of this hymn today, was a Sewanee grad, a poet, I think a lawyer, a wealthy world-traveling bachelor. He had it all. Never probably saw himself having children, at least biological children. Yet he had to make a decision. Standing before him were three young boys, young children, nephews, who had lost not one, but both parents. He knew it was a call. And so he adopted all three boys and changed everything about his life for them. The youngest brother, Finn, who was in the car with his mother, says that he remembers waking up for years, for years, crying in the middle of the night with nightmares. His tears were still, re- were still real in this interview. And he said, and Uncle Will would get up in the middle of the night at every hour, come into my room and read me a story so I could go back to sleep. It's like, I don't know what I would have done without him. Discipleship. It involves changing our lives so that we can walk in love as Christ loved us. So look at this sequence hymn. I'll end here. Even though today's hymn text was written before he adopted the three boys, I can't help, I just can't help but think William Alexander Percy was moved by his own words. As the father of two young boys, there's nothing quiet in my house. And I can see William Alexander Percy, the father of three boys, in his study, trying to collect his thoughts, trying to write something, and you know what was happening in the background. Sounded like cattle running through the house. Somebody was getting punched. Somebody was crying. Somebody was knocking over the antiques. All the world travels. Everything in his life was turned upside down. Think of the stomach bugs. Think of the flu. All that he never had to worry about. But yet he had this call. Now imagine that was going through his mind, the hymn that he wrote, the poem that he wrote. Look at these words, that last line. The peace of God. Peace of God, it is no peace. But strife closed in the sod. And then I bet he looked up and he saw those three boys. He saw images that he probably never planned in his life to see. He saw the power of holy relationship. That experience in those moments that we have with our children and our grandchildren, with students that we teach, Those moments, those holy, holy and precious moments. 
And then he remembered the last words of this hymn. Yet let us pray for just one thing, the marvelous peace of God. Discipleship involves being foolish, being open to the Holy Spirit, and changing your life in ways that draw you closer to the love of God. Amen.